Welcome, my name is Nick Shackleford. This is Joshua Johnston. I'm gonna do a brief, brief introduction here because I know we're gonna to wanna to hear mainly from him for the rest of this kind of conversation. So I wanna take up a little bit of time from you guys. But when, when you look at building an agency or at least building a team in the social space, you have this balance of like new guns and you have this balance of old vets that have been around. And when you have the old vet building in a new gun way, it's a very interesting way. And especially someone that's been around since 20 or since 2004. And I'm talking MySpace days. I'm talking social strategy for MySpace and AOL, which is where Daniel kind of built some of these chops before he went on and built Mint, which is the agency that he owns and runs and operates currently. And it's been a very fascinating path so far. So Daniel, I, I would love to hear a little bit of that early days because MySpace in London sounds like an incredible opportunity to be a part of. And I, I bet it was. First, thank you for the intro. Um, I don't know about the voice piece, but I've been trading on that now for the last 10 years since we've been to America. It, it's just an inbuilt uh, ability to sound smart, even though when I don't know, I, even even if I don't know what I'm talking about. So thank you for the intro. Thank Beautiful. you for having me on. Um, yeah, MySpace back then was, I mean, it was the best place to be. I think what I'm always conscious of, though, if I'm honest, is, is uh, at the time, it didn't have obviously the cultural significance because... You know, you look back in hindsight and it's like, oh shit, that was the first proper big social platform, social network. Things we were doing now, things we were doing then, now you can classify as like, oh, it was influencer marketing. Back then right. it was just, we're just doing cool stuff with cool people to try and make cool things online. So I don't like to try and retell history too much, um, but it was an incredible place, incredible place to be. I got the job at MySpace and really didn't deserve the job at MySpace. I knew nothing about anything. Um, I'd worked in clothing stores and telesales companies before joining MySpace. I was given the opportunity to join and actually they flew me out to LA. Interesting. Which is, that was when I decided back then, I was like, this is another world. One day I'm going to move to LA and run my own agency. This is the place to be. <laughs> I was bitten by the LA bug in a big way. But it was it was a great place to be, super fast-paced, super innovative, incredible people. I think what I look back on and really love the most is is just how fast-paced and try everything, do everything, what works great, what doesn't work, ah, well. Um, and that sense of kind of like freedom and entrepreneurial spirit transcended through the entire company, which was which is super fun. It's funny, you said once you got to LA, you felt well, this is, I want to have an agency in LA. How did you know that? How did you feel that initially when you were like with the MySpace? Was it because it was tech, it was fast forward and you were working with agencies from the inside of the MySpace side or what? Yeah, it was. I was working with agencies, mainly the Group M agencies um, over in London. And yeah. I'd like, you know, I just seeing the the work we did was really cool because we were, we were obviously delivering social campaigns across the MySpace platform. But yeah. I was really interested in the fact that these agencies were working with brands in developing the concepts that were going to be on the MySpace platform. Do you see what I mean? So, yeah. and it was the same at AOL. Like we had a certain level of control, but I was always like, I'm coming after the fact. I'm selling the platform and the targeting and the audiences and everything else. I want to be selling to the brands. I want to be working yes. directly with that brand on let's do this let's just see what i mean like that upfront ideation mm -hmm. so that's why for me it was more i wanted to get into like an agency side and be and have that one-to-one -one connectivity with the brands to have more influence after then understanding the digital kind of distribution piece of being 
on the, I guess, publisher side or network side. What were some of the, the inspirational brands for you? Ones that really made you think like, I want to work with these guys full time. Um, anything fashion. <laughs> okay. Anything. Time. Um, anything Anything fashion. that's still around today or, or have a lot of these brands that you used to work with a while back kind of dissipated. Adidas is always one. I was in Adidas. In England, your social status is dictated by your the football club you support and whether you're Adidas or Nike. So, <laughs> I was I was an Adidas I wearing Man United. I was an Adidas wearing Man United fan, which means I hated anyone who wore Nike and I hated every other team in the country. So, oh no, all, all I wear is Nike. <laughs> I mean, so do I these days. I just. Um, I, I was very brand loyal at this time. Very brand loyal. Were you were, were you a red Adidas tracksuit? Were you a red tracksuit kind of red Adidas tracksuit guy? I had a fluorescent green and blue Adidas tracksuit oh when I was about God. twelve years old. We got to get pictures of this. Um, I, I think it's I don't so have good. a picture actually. Now let me ask you this: on 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 the Adidas and Nike side, what is your perception of those that mix and match Adidas and Nike in oh. the same outfit? <laughs> Oof, you know. For for the longest period, and probably maybe a, until a couple of years ago, it's it's just a complete no go. You do not <laughs> mix and match brands. Like it's it's sacrilege, right? You should be, you know, that's not allowed. However, I found myself the other day wearing Nike Air Force Ones and Adidas socks, and I looked down. Oof. I was just like, Oof. I was like, you, f- what the f- has happened to you? What has happened to you? <laughs> I was so disappointed in myself. <laughs> oh, I love that. I have that very strict rule for myself. I cannot mix and match those specific brands. I'll mix in some other brands with it, but Adidas and Nike, no, you can't can't do that. Yeah, I stripes know. and I... stripes and swooshes don't mix. I know. Well, no, exactly. Well, Daniel, well, fast forward, now, you're you're representing represent right now, right? Like you wear some of that stuff, and that's a that's an EU based brand. So even now, like when when you jumped into Mint, so 2019 is when you were like, I'm fully in on Mint. This is what I want to do. Was your head at like, hey, I'm going to leverage some of the relationships I, I was starting to build in my space and see if I can get some brand deals and start running the paid performance site? Or, or how did actually, how did you choose what you wanted to focus on? Because you were very creative. You wanted to do content. What was the core focus when 2019 launched? Yeah, so actually, so when I started Mint, I was still leading strategy at my last company, Turn. Okay. Um, okay. So we were like a DSP, social digital DMP platform. I was working with a lot of automotive brands, Disney, you know, big brands like that. Um, I actually started Mint as as a side hustle. So I, I built Mint for the first year whilst also still working at that company. You know, I'd moved to LA. You know, the people that I'd met, the people in my network, they owned brands. They were yeah. trying to get into the brand game. Um, well, not trying to get into the brand game, excuse me. They were, they were scaling their own brands. And one of the first brands actually was a fashion brand out of San Francisco, um, that a friend of mine was was a part of, and yeah, it really it really was about you know when you're at that level of working with the size of brands I was at, some of the fun and impact got taken out of it, right? It was more about contract negotiations, and if we shave off a point five percent of what we're charging you to run your social on our platform, then all the fun got taken out of it for me. Okay, um, and and so like I wanted to start working with brands that were in my network where I could have a much more meaningful impact on their business and also again I sound like a control freak but be more in control of their holistic digital and social strategy you know at that level and you probably know this with your experience it's so fragmented and it's actually one of the biggest reasons I wanted to be a full service agency 
because I remember I'd be going into these, you know, partner agencies of these brands, and it's like you're gonna you're gonna be talking to the performance team, but only the performance team that does retargeting. I was like, okay, so what about the acquisition team? Oh, that's a separate team. What about the brand team? Oh, they're separate. What about the search team? Well, we've got brand search and non-brand search, and they're separate teams as well, and sometimes even different agencies. And I was like, how is that efficient? How can you have all these different teams who don't talk to each other running your digital and social strategy? Like it made no sense to me. Like your creative agency is different. They don't talk to the acquisition team. So that was actually one of the main drivers as to why Mint is full service. Sit there real quick with me because this is something that I think is important for a lot of the agency owners or those that are wanting to build that zero to one, one to five, five to 10. We all get in the game. Usually it's the core reasons of like, a, I want to help as many brands as possible, or B, I'm really good at a specific thing. I'm good at paid media. I'm good at content. I'm good at email. I'm good at something. And so you get in this with like this large heart that you're allowed to serve, right? You want to build and you get in there and you're all of a sudden realizing it's all fragmented and you might be really good at that. Like you might be really good at Facebook. I'll speak for myself. I was the Facebook guy. That was what they knew me for. And you get in and go like, well, actually you don't just need Facebook. You actually need CRO. You actually need content. You actually need paid. You need email. You need all these things. Did you, did you hit a point when you started going like, hey, I'm not only leading strategy, but I'm having to run the media. I'm having to hire for this. Where did you find like that pull of like, crap, I really want to do this thing, but I can't because I have to do all these other things. Is that something that you start thinking about? And when did you think about that? Really early on in my, in my journey, um, in the space. And, and that's, that's a really good point. Like you said, you were the Facebook guy. So yeah. that's your, do you see what I mean? You went down that strength, like. I wouldn't say I was the best at like, I wasn't my in platforms buying media. I was always holistic strategy. Do you see what I mean? So I was always viewing things from a very early point, the interconnectivity of everything um, from a digital and social standpoint. And so to me, it was very frustrating actually to, to almost be trying to guide like an omni-channel strategy, but only actually yeah. having control over two. And sometimes those two channels were even subsets of the broader channel because of the limitations and just how contracts were agreed and stuff like that. So yeah, um, to me, it always felt really inefficient and ineffective to have everything so fragmented. And and I, you know, I think you look at the world I operate in now, and maybe we operate in now. It's not the huge Fortune 100 brands, or maybe it is for some of us in certain cases. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of benefits from an efficiency standpoint, from a performance standpoint, from a even a vendor management standpoint, to have consolidation where each part of your digital social strategy is talking to each other. The speed at which you can execute, the connectivity, the the consumer experience. What's the, what's the phrase? Paul not stealing from Peter or something like that. Like just trying to protect your individual channels as an individual agency or group or person. I think it provides misaligned incentives and, and it always has in my career at all those brands, at all those agencies, there was always yeah. like a, a push pull of like, well, I'm trying to protect what I run for you. I don't really give a, yeah. shit. Really give a shit about what the other channel's doing because it's not in my best interests. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't like that. <laughs> it doesn't help the brand. So when you were heading down this omni-channel approach, you said it was a thought that you had very early on when starting the agency. How did you, because clearly your bandwidth is, is limited, right? 
how are you bringing in all these other channels that maybe you're not specialized in? Are you bringing in contractors? Are you bringing in other agency partners? How do you start to like yeah, cultivate sure. this omni-channel agency? That's a really good point. So when I first started Mint, like I said, it was on, on the side. I was doing everything with Samantha, um, who was doing like the influencer and organic social piece. Because back then, organic yeah. social, it, it's kind of done this. Like it got it was really cool then no one gave a shit yep. and now it's cool again um but it was it was <laughs> so true. it was having a moment at the time um so i was doing overall strategy and i was good enough at running paid and search and email and website i was good enough for the four or five brands that i picked up on kind of day one that i could be meaningful and i actually was working with a couple of people who worked at my past uh, companies who really understood media buying and really understood um, aspects like that. And I did initially um, work with contractors, but then when I realized the potential and what I wanted to build, like I very quickly went down the route of trying to build a team, which is obviously super challenging, right? Because at the time it's like, hey, come and join my two-person company, leave your job at X agency where you've got great benefits and you earn lots of money and trust me, one day it'll be worth it. So there's a push-pull around that, right? Of like how to build a team when you're at that, say, at that size. That Well, if you're full service, you're a master of nothing. I think we made the right steps of bringing in the right expertise in our hiring yeah. process so that actually we... You know, I mean, we're three, four years down the line now. We have experts in each of those places versus generalists. Um, so it, it, it kind of comes together quite nicely. But initially it was, you know, it was it's that picture where the, the front of house is all seamless and the back of house you just spin in plates, right? Like it was it was a bit of that. That's good transparency too, because I think the grass is always greener on the other side for some of these agencies that are, you know, a little bit more established. And uh, so I think it gives good insight to probably people that are currently spinning plates and yeah. knowing that people that are you know more established also went through the same thing so that's good insight yeah for sure what we're gonna do as soon as i kind of get back after this ad read i want to ask a couple a couple of couple burning questions i've been wondering about this a selfishly because i wanted to know like the relationship between what happened when when social shame came in and then what where mint's gonna go and then ask some more details on like what you're focused on now because I've been seeing you build, like you're doing an incredible thing of building a public and it's something that I've been screaming from the mountaintops. I've, I even told you in, in very, 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 very many times, get there, share what you know, share what you do, because it's a very unique perspective. And then and then I have to ask a couple of questions of the difference between the landscape in the EU and the landscape in the US, because I know you sit in, right in between as a very unique perspective. So we'll see you guys in a second after this ad read real quick. All right, people, if you haven't done this already, you need to do this right now. Pause the podcast, don't take action. There's a link above, below, or in the show notes. Join Triple Whale's partner program where you can get up to 20% off the leads that you send through, which is an incredible amount of revenue. And I think it's worth your time and effort for a little bit of action that you're about to take right now. Okay, so we are... On behalf of structure, right? Josh, Josh went through um, at Willing Media went through a little bit of an acquisition and a little bit of a, a, a path of joining Aqua Hiring and, and moving. We did four acquisitions at Structure last year, or th sorry, three last year, four in our history of of building the agency. And when I when I'm always on the edge of this, I'm always paying attention to this, whether it's big agency, small agency, 
I, I pay a lot of attention to this, especially because there's a lot of teams that look, they might've acquired a bunch of business, their head person, their leader might be an incredible media buyer. He might be an incredible biz dev guy, biz dev girl, who, whatever it is. There's, there's reasons why small shops grow quickly is because they hit a vein, they serve as a specific type of market and they acquire a bunch of business really quick. That doesn't always mean they should be the owner or run that business. Nothing wrong with that. That's just how it is. You want to potentially join on a larger partnership. And so when I saw this post back then, when I saw the potential partnership or the potential relationship being established with arguably one of the largest, most publicly known social shop in the world, not even just in the UK social chain, I was super curious on this. So I would love to hear a little bit of the background story. Why they honestly, why are they were interested in and what that relationship actually did for you personally? Yeah, definitely. So social chain obviously is an agency I knew of. Um, you know, I was a big fan of Stephen Bartlett and and just what he'd been able to build. So I was I yeah. was super aware of social chain and it, it wasn't just, you know, the agency like I was really inspired by the way he'd been able to build a company that had like this pull around it. You know, and I know more about it now, but the it was cult sounds like it's got a negative connotation, but so cult in a good way of like it was an identity. If you worked at Social Chain, it was an identity. It was interesting. Cool. It by default, it was cool and like they had that coolness element to them, as well as doing really good work. And just the fact that Stephen had started it kind of really young and scaled it to a big point, and then he'd he'd got investment and acquisition from a, a larger group based in Germany, Social Chain AG. Yeah. So again, always inspired by the agency and and just they seem to have got it right in terms of how you create a company that people wanted to work for and brands wanted to work with. And I think that's, they're very skilled at that. They're very good yeah. marketers for themselves and for their brands. And so I knew Oliver Yonchev, who was part of Steven's initial team in the UK. He was the one who moved to the US, New York and started building Social Chain US. So I, I knew him, we chatted a few times. Um, and it was kind of by chance, if I'm honest with you, that Okay. He hit me up one day. Um, he was like, I'm in LA, let's grab coffee. Um, the funny thing is, is I was in our WeWork space in downtown LA dealing with some some client issue. And I was, you know, you know how those things go. I was like, uh, of course. fuck, do I have, I, of I, course. I have time? I don't have time to go and meet and cover f***ing stress with this client thing. I need to figure <laughs> this out. So I, tec I actually text, text someone, I was like, Oh, but it's really cool. Oliver from Social Chain wants to meet up. But I just don't think I can go. I've got to fix this thing with this client to make it good. Of course. So I almost didn't go to this meeting, which turned out to be the meeting where he was like, look, you know, Social Chain, incredible at creating big marketing moments for brands, right? They they focus on social first, big moments, build community, really kind of like drive social growth. They're a creative social influencer shop. Um, they work with, the, you know, Ubers, coca-cola afterpay brands like that and he was explaining what we don't do is we don't we don't have like a performance element you know we're not great when it comes to paid media we're not great when it comes to okay how do we attach all that we're doing here to create this big noise and these big moments to a, a business right. result that lives outside of online metrics such as reach engagement etc which is meaningful and so he was like We've been watching what you've been building. We're super impressed. We love the work that you do. We know your background as well as one that has those big brand experiences. Would you be interested in a conversation um, around kind of investment um, and becoming part of the social chain group? 
I wasn't I wasn't searching for investment or acquisition or partnership or anything. I was just on my journey of building Mint. But the opportunity to to connect myself with one an incredible team, an incredible yeah. company that I looked up to, but also that story is 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 kind of true to what I was saying earlier. That interconnectivity. Why would that not be attached to? more meaningful business results why would you not be trying to connect all that journey together if you're a brand so i got really excited about the potential of being able to do that with the one agency that i'd kind of thought if i could you had do different things but if i could build a company that does what they do from a, a team and client perspective so i was like yeah like sorry. <laughs> it's like done done give me the papers basically yeah, and then and then they sent me a due diligence list. I was like, oh, <laughs> I hadn't been building to sell. Let's put it that way. It's funny because you have a very similar experience to me in the acquisition world uh, of you know just meeting someone at the right time, having a uh, unique agency currently in the marketplace, and it being a strategic acquisition. When you started going down that due diligence process, I'm just curious because for me, I'm I like scattered. I'm like I have to learn all this new vocabulary. I have to learn a, a whole different skill set when it comes to building an uh, building out this acquisition. What was the energy for you? What was the feelings that you were having when you started going through that due diligence process? Because it is, it is not like an easy thing. You have to really study up to do it well. Yeah. No, yeah, you really do. When, yeah. H-O-T. I was like, what's a H-O-T? Heads of terms. Okay. Google. Google was my best friend. Um, 100%. You know, it was a, it was a really good process because they wanted it to happen. I wanted it to happen. The, the strategic alignment, the people alignment made it a good process in terms of like the actual detail behind it. You know, what, what, yeah. I, what I now know that I didn't know then is if you are building to sell, you do certain things. And if you're not building to sell, there's a couple of ways of building a company. For the investment that I got from Social Chain, did I get the highest valuation? No. If I'd have been seeking that from day one, I might have made different decisions along my journey. Sure. Which is that's that's okay. I wasn't doing it for that reason. I was doing it for the strategic partnership and the ability to work with great people. Um, right. I think like that dawned on me during the due diligence process, right? Of of analyzing the business now we'd built a really good business we were profitable we've been profitable from day one we'd never had to seek any form of in investment to the company so it was still a good picture but it wasn't a picture that if i'd have crafted it to sell would have extended sure. my my valuation um i had great people around me to ask questions luckily i have a really good network of people who have been places that i wanted to go and had sold companies and stuff so they definitely advised on me uh, advised me around things um so i think i think that's the thing if anybody's in a similar situation that are going through it google is your friend but ask people questions i think people are quite willing to help um when it comes to things like this uh but it was it was a good process it going into it completely blind and having never done it before you're always going to feel a little bit you know challenged by the process okay. but um yeah. for, for me it was made easier like i said with the fact that we were really guided by look at what we could potentially achieve by coming together. Josh, I think you, you sparked something in me on this topic. When that came across, when that, so you left the meeting, like, okay, this is happening. Something, something, I don't know what, I don't know how much, I don't know when, but something is going to happen. 
he got back in the car and he kind of went home and then you had to actually do the due diligence. You had to go through the process. And then when it was all said and done, do you remember, like, what did you do? Like, do you remember what you did when, when, when the exchange of what was agreed upon happened? Were you like, okay, back to work or, or did you celebrate a little bit? I do remember the exact moment. It was definitely a sense of like, now the work starts. There was no, <laughs> there was no yeah, element. Of course. Like, there was absolutely no moment. Like, I think a little bit internally, like, this is fucking cool. Like, to be yeah, in this right? position two years after starting the company, that felt good to me. Like, there was a an, 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 uh, a personal reflection of, that's pretty cool. Um, and right. the one agency that I looked up to, not that I don't look up to other agencies, but so, I mean, like, the one aspirational agency, and they're the ones that have decided they want me to be part of their, like... There was definitely that moment, but in terms of, um, you know, anything else, it was definitely like, okay, Oliver actually said it right to me when I, I was with him recently. I think the whole, what the whole social chain journey did and what I felt during that moment is it raised, it raised my own expectations of what I could achieve. It it, it wasn't like a, oh, this is great. I can just chill out. Like just yeah, keep doing yeah, yeah. it. made me think. We we need to I need to elevate myself. The whole company has to elevate. We know, like yeah. I started thinking bigger, like bigger possibilities. Um, he was, he, yeah, he kind of made me realize that that's what had happened. And since the social chain um, investment and kind of the trajectory Mint is going on, it's definitely true. I, I don't think there's been any moments where like as you grow, you achieve this, you achieve this. It's like oh. I'm kind of done. It it raises your own expectations of yourself and what's possible for the company. I agree with that. This is it's. There's nothing more true. It's, it's just another chapter. You start at the beginning. You're just like, okay, on to the next play, on to the next move. Because look, you think about now. You guys are around 50, 50 plus people at the shop, U.S. based, U.K. based, and other 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 countries. Is there a difference of let's say clientele? I'm going to ask difference of clientele from stateside to to broadside, and then difference of employeeship on a state side and a bride side. So talk to me about like the clientele of the US side versus uh, the UK side. There's a huge difference. Um, and we work with quite a few UK and European brands. The US is obviously our biggest market, but we have a team sure, in the sure. UK. That team services external brands as well as internal social chain brands. You know, there's, there's cultural differences in terms of people. There's differences in terms of marketing i would say and i always felt this actually when i worked in the uk to the us the us is is the us is more advanced in terms of where we're at in marketing we are more advanced and i throughout my career that's always been the case um i would say like the uk and eu are behind when it comes to what we're doing the the tech the platforms everything else um i mean to put an example like in the uk sms is in as all no <laughs> yeah you don't yeah. you don't text people marketing messages. <laughs> what are you talking about? Kind of thing. Um, it's kind of seen as as not the thing to do. What I will say about the UK though is there's great brand agency scene. There's some incredible brands, incredible talent, incredible people that are doing really good things. I think the interesting thing is most British brands, what they're doing, and, and some will disagree, but my perception and the brands I talk to is it's not a case of in in the US where it's like your home market is your biggest market. So the overriding thing for so many brands that aren't in the US is, well, let's get to a point where we're doing well, but then go to the US. 
because that's yep. where the money yeah. is. Do you see what I mean? Um, yeah. I think we've leveraged that. Um, sometimes from an agency standpoint of like, well, we are US-based, we know the market, we understand it, but it has to be at the right time for that brand, right? To 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 think that, well, we can only get to a base level place in our own, in our, in our home country, but then take that and somehow replicate it at greater scale in the US. That's seen as, that's seen by most brands in the UK, I think, as, as the path to go. And I don't think it's always the right one. If I think if you, if you can't, establish something in your home country just thinking that because the u.s is bigger it's going to unlock your performance just by the fact of it being bigger i think it's a little bit misguided we actually had a brand that was trying to do a launch in the states and they're a supplement brand smart well branded and we were we were jumping on that jumping on a call with that team so consistently around creative strategy and the way that the brits the way the uk takes the romanticism of creative and brand and and positioning and all that it's so i was like are is everybody over there like this are they so emotionally tied to all the content of the brand is this is this real is this how you guys are yeah i'd say so yes that's actually a really good assessment yeah i'd say so (laughs) because i I was like look i was like look you come to america we like you mentioned it is a big what what was shocking to me like we've done a couple events when you you when you flew out to barcelona with us and we were sitting there in the audience, and it was German brands, it was Austrian brands, it was uh, German agencies, Austrian agencies, uh, English. There was a, there was a group of them, and I started having these individual conversations with everybody, and they're like, "Well, you have to realize that, you know, you have to set up a manufacturing region within this region of of Germany. Oh, then you have to get like the special language and the dialect within this region. Oh, then you have to do the same exact thing in Austria. Oh, then you have to do the same exact thing in UK. Oh, then you have to do the and you 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 can't yeah. really scale." country to country to country because it all kind of takes its own support and its own ecosystem whereas in the states yeah. you're like cool i have an east coast i have a middle america i have a west coast or i might have even just a, a, a middle america that'll be able to send all my products and shipments there so it makes it a little bit yeah. easier on the infrastructure side but necessarily on the 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 cost size we always say this if if we're doing well in the states how fast can we take it to abroad how fast can we get a manufacturing partner because we know costs can be a little bit more effective nine out of 10 yeah. times on Google and on, on the, the social platforms. But generally speaking, we try to go your way. And so I don't see as much uh, the the EU or UK coming our way. Is that something you guys sense as well? I agree with you. And I, I, th- I think like, as actually you mentioned the brand Represent, um, who I absolutely love, uh, one of my favorite brands. Um, and maybe this is like, Again, I'm talking more kind of the brands that I love. Uh, yeah. You actually put a post about this around brands versus what I call commodities. So you don't need this for commodities. But, I, you know, I heard a podcast with George, one of the brothers, the founders of Represent, and he, he mentioned on the podcast the U.S. was only 20% of their revenue, I think. <laughs> but they're huge in the U.K. It's everywhere. <laughs> and the brand's incredible. To me, they they are building the brand right. They've got that right mix of brand content they're touching all channels they're doing all the right things i kind of think well what you know why is the us only 20 percent? i've got no idea about their investment into it but i think a big part of it is you know they've got a community that's grounded in the fact that they're yeah. british lads that built a brand the locals therefore support that and that swells over time based on how good the clothing is and how good the brand is like to rep to repeat that in a new country is you can't really do the same thing. 
right? Because they're not local lads to LA or New York. So you've got to have a different strategy as to how you establish that brand. It's going to be far more predicated on just the positioning and the quality of the clothing and your ability to acquire customers through traditional methods like Facebook ads and stuff like that, right? Because the community yeah. element, you can show it on YouTube. But if I'm an LA lad, I don't know what it means to grow up in Manchester. Um, do you see what I mean? And and yeah. care about the fact that they came from just local lads in Manchester, grew this brand, they're now doing collaborations with Liam Gallagher. Like, that doesn't translate as well. I know it's a really specific point, but it kind of made me think about that. Well, they should be huge in the US because the brand is phenomenal and the clothes are amazing. I think, like, do you see what I mean? Like, how do you replicate that kind of thing that's so grounded in, like, the culture of England in a different country? Now, if you're a commodity, that doesn't matter. You've just got to be good at ads and have the right fulfillment and shipping and everything else. But I don't care Here, about those things as much. Here's <laughs> what I'll say: like, I'm going to pretend I'm going to pretend to put on like my my creative director hat for that team. Who? What? What was the brother's name you mentioned? George. And the other one, Heaton. Michael. Okay, Heaton. I follow one of them on Twitter. Pretty active. What would be interesting for them, and, and this is taking like on a tangent of it, but they he should move to L.A., New York. And then like middle America, he should do like a quarter, a quarter, a quarter and be like, Hey, I'm here. I'm living here. I'm experiencing here. This is what it seems like the the type of thing that would represent well for this region, this country, yeah. this area. Yeah. And he should like document the shit of this. He should yeah. do this and live and be like, Hey, we are obviously are established here. We're not going to neglect our roots, but I want to be low. He, he needs to like localize to build the representation of that area so that he can represent it real and raw. I think that would be sick. They should hire you guys to do this. <laughs> they should. They should. George, if you're listening, <laughs> hit me up. All I want in return is free hoodies. Premium hoodies. Oh, my God. You and I both. Yeah. Okay. Hoodies. There we go. Oh, my God. I love this. Do you think Do you think two things happens? Okay. It's funny because you just, you hired an incredible individual uh, that I've, I've been more than happy to work with over my time um, because as I start seeing you guys build, so uh, let, me, let me tell you where I'm going with this. We all had really good 2020s, 2021s. It was nice. It was a year, of, I swear, it was like the year of the agency, the year of the D2C support system. Like we all did very well. Anything that was in this area and you didn't have any inventory that you had to like worry about or move, we all did relatively well. Well, now we come into 2023 where the acceleration is not as fast as it was. The ecosystem is still like, what are we going through? Is this the pandemic? Is this out of the pandemic? Is this recession? Whatever, whatever it's going to be. How are you taking team building? Because now you see Microsoft, you see Twitter, you see Google, you see all these teams laying people off. And it's something that's been so top of mind for me and our team. Go back to small. Do we get the teams in person? Do we do visits? How are you building the team right now? Because I just saw you guys got back from a little bit of a, a leadership summit. The last six months, especially, you know, has been a, a massive focus on the team, our internal structures, our inter like. That's been the biggest focus, which I think as a company, you know, you're always focused on like, I do think early on in agency journeys, you're too focused on just the clients like that. You, you, all you think about is client, client, client. Because you, But you need the money though. Yeah. The thing you can do to have the biggest impact on your clients is focus on your internal teams, like who you have on the bus, what they're doing, how you are structuring things. Um, you know, and tr just transparently, we reached a level of scale whereby if it we had to 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 allow us to keep scaling 
and delivering for our clients, we had to get really good at our internal processes and efficiencies. I probably spoke to Josh about this in terms of getting operations people on board. You know, we have brought in some phenomenal talent and a lot of that talent has been five steps further down the road than Mint is. And, and I've been lucky enough to settle them on the vision of where we're going, uh, that they want to take a couple of steps back in that journey and still have the same enthusiasm, energy, and passion to, to kind of rebuild it. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, my, my perspective on, on the market and DTC and, and all this stuff, and there's a lot of negativity and you know, recessions, inflation and layoffs and all this sort of stuff. I mean, there is still enough opportunity out there if you are running your business in the right way. The same applies if I'm honest with you, right? It's not like I'm doing anything vastly different. Yes, are we conscious of our costs? Yes. Have I always been conscious of my costs? Yes. Are we more focused on client performance and profitability? Yes. Have we always been focused on client performance and profitability for our clients? Yeah. Yes. So what I would say is, I don't want to like paint some rose-tinted glasses picture of there aren't challenges. But what I'd say is it comes down to like the fundamentals of how am I running my business and building my teams to a way where we're not over leveraged, where we're going to have to make decisions like if things don't continue to grow in the same way that they have. Right. Are we really focused on the best service and performance and profitability for our clients and over delivering on what we say we're going to do? Those, those fundamentals ring true now as they did a year ago, as they did three years ago, as they did in 2005. Like, it's always been the fundamentals remain the same. Um, and I think you look at companies like Microsoft and the big tech companies doing layoffs. I'm a very different business to them. Um, I think it's obviously really sad for those people. They'll find jobs, hopefully they'll get opportunities and everything else. I'm not, not being um, blasé about the impact on those people. But they operate a very different way of having to manage headcount against <laughs> share results and share prices i'm not playing that game right and i think like in our space what do brands need brands more than ever if there's going to be challenges need partners of expertise to help them drive their business forward now that might not be 50 percent year over year growth but what it might be is efficiencies and really double down on my customer experience, really increase my customer LTV. If there's one shift that I've seen that, again, I think is um, opportunity for agencies or the right agencies is it's not always about just foot on the gas, fucking go, right? Uh, like, yeah. not only from like a macro year perspective, but even on a month-to-month -month perspective, right? There's the seasonality, there's stock levels, there's all these things that, it, you know, it's a constant evolution, it's a constant game of like push and do this, push, and, you know? So I think like, if it's not the year that DTC is going to, economic world is going to continue to scale massively like we saw during the pandemic, which to me was like an inflated curve anyway, sure. right? It, it, the, the fact that so many big companies thought, oh, oh yeah, this is just going to continue. Let's, let's, let's plan against that is kind of unreal companies didn't realize this is going to be a bubble during this period of time it's probably not going to continue on that trajectory yeah it, that blows my mind that yeah, more people didn't realize that you know my my view of, of of 
from an agency standpoint is brands more than ever need expertise in areas what it like you know and understanding what is still business results and success for that brand and delivering against that as a strategy you know i still think there's there's a lot of potential there's a lot of wins we're, we're seeing great results for some of our brands the narrative that dtc is dead e-commerce is dead facebook ads don't work recession inflation we're all f- i'm not seeing and i don't buy into one thing i want to circle back around to real fast that you mentioned that just kind of piqued my interest was your ability to attract a high level of talent even though it was maybe a step backward for them i think a lot of that shown through a culture that people believe in and culture with remote teams and especially teams that are in multiple different time zones across uk us that is something extremely difficult to cultivate a, a culture that is streamlined what are you guys currently doing i think i saw on a linkedin post something about a wins channel that you guys have company-wide but i'd be curious to hear more about what you guys do to develop the actual culture we have things in place right where we have a, a wins channel where anybody in the company any win anything that they're proud of that they're getting good feedback of or something that is you know like we achieve this result drop it in give context what's the win why is it a win what's the data to support the win you know and that's popping off a few times a day which i i love to see and also it helps me with my content on linkedin so keep that going um i love it we, we have like Noted. an innovation channel which is like um yeah that's a great one um also a, a channel for people to just ask general marketing questions that they would want answered and just take that and do a little uh, linkedin content about that um, we have an innovation channel. What are other people in the space doing that you think is cool that we should do? What 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 cool brand campaign did you see? What cool ad? What cool anything? Drop that in there. So we have a lot of that stuff. We obviously have a weekly huddle, which is more about celebrating what we're doing, discussing where we need to go as a company. It's more of a cultural thing outside of like SLT meetings where we're talking business results, more OKR driven stuff. Those things that we do, but I think it's, It's just my ethos as to how I want to build Mint, which is a people Mm -hmm. first ethos, right? Like you have different types of leaders. um, And I truly think it starts at the top of like how you communicate, how you live and how you do your work that transcends down across the whole company. People look at that. People pay attention to that. Yeah. More than more than maybe you'd think yeah. if you're a leader that doesn't think about these things, right? What I post on social is seen. <laughs> like how yeah. I am in meetings is seen. You know, there's not to produce any kind of like paranoia. You can't live your life. Like do your thing. But sure, we're a people first company. Um, do we always get it right? No, I always caveat that of yeah. we don't always get it right. But my true goal when people ask me what I want to do with Mint is is it really is less about like some revenue figure or anything is I want to build that company where people love working for it, right? Where they're proud to work, where they're proud to work at the company because of the work they do, what it allows them to achieve. We actually talk about this in our hiring process. Why are agencies bad to work for? It's fast paced. You've got lot, yep. you know, you're on multiple clients. It's always a balance. Things move quickly. Things change quickly. But why is it great? You learn so quick around many aspects of business and digital right you learn so quickly and i and i think like the ability to bring in talent 
is based on those two things. Like we're a very people first company. We do cool work and I know exactly where I want to go. I know exactly what I think the opportunity is that we haven't realized. And I know that we can get there if we do X, Y, and Z. And it really is about like, we got our team teams together in New York uh, for two days um, of offsite. That people building to me is, and time in person is absolutely crucial. We are going to be moving to a, a much more in-person way of working because I think you can't replicate your ability to move at speed and build relationships um, better than in person. I think we've done phenomenally well as a remote company. I had, I had one-to-ones of everyone in our company, like 50 people. And when I said to them, what do you love working about Mint the most? Number one on every single person's list was the team and our collaboration. Yeah. And that's something we push so much like so to be so collaborative and and to have such interaction with your team members in a remote setting um i think we've done a really good job of my thing about the whole remote work is you know we want flexibility and freedom for our for our teams maybe this is more from an employer hat is it, it builds an emotional connection with your team members that you cannot build as uh, remotely in the same way yeah. When Nick asked me about MySpace, yes, I remember the work, but you know what I remember more? I remember the dinners, and I remember the lunches, and I remember the walks to the meetings with my t- with my colleagues. Like, they're friendships that I still have with those people. I, I worry about a world whereby everything is so remote, where your, your interaction and your connectivity with your colleagues is just a, a Google screen. Yeah, for me to move jobs, it's just why I change that Google screen to a different company's Google screen, and there you go. You know, s- strong culture and, and great leaders are incredible to have inside of an agency. But one thing that we tend to see in in Shack as a byproduct of of this is when you develop great leaders, when you develop a great skill set for someone inside of the company. Well, maybe they go start their own thing, right? Maybe they go start yeah. their own agency. What's your take internally? And I'm sure this has probably happened to you in the past at some point when someone's like, hey, I'm going to go try this on my own. I would say that whilst that's a challenge for the business, that's you doing your job right of bringing great people into your company and giving them the skill sets where they're even able to do that. So I think like, you know, hiring other leaders to to be autonomous and make decisions within your company that can push that culture and everything downwards and build people and be autonomous in that, I think is a great thing. And if a byproduct of that is them them ultimately stepping out to do something on their own, I'd say, like I said, that's going to be a challenge. Hopefully you've got good contracts. You've done your job well, right? Because, yeah. you know, if anyone's going to leave the company, what you always want is that they leave better than when they joined. I think that's that's the sign of a good company that you, that that. you do that. I think that's such a great place to to transition on because I, I know I, I am a byproduct of that and, and Taylor Holiday, the boss that I was a part of at Common Through Collective, we'll be talking to him next. We have Savannah Sanchez that was with me. I was actually a, a manager at Common Thread, and she went and built her own thing. And the last thing I'll call on that, Daniel, I'm so thankful for for your time that you spent with us and the honest answers that you're giving us. It's there's a lot going on here, right? And I think and in the agency world, which is why Josh and I are on this mission to to break down the algorithm of the agency. Like, what does it take? What are the nuggets? Because not many people are talking about this. You can get into various rooms, you can get into various masterminds, but in terms of like free content that people can kind of consume and start seeing like, oh, I'm at that stage that Daniel was at when he left, or I'm at that stage that Josh and Nick were doing 
when they were just about to grow or, or get bought or, or buy somebody. I think all this stuff is extremely important. So I have to, I have to say thank you because I, I have a couple more questions I wanted to go through, but I think we're gonna have to push that to a part two. Um, and I, I wanted to give you the oh, last sound off. Where can, where can people find you on, on the Twitters or where can people find you on LinkedIn's? And first of all, foremost, thank you so much for having me on. Um, absolute pleasure. Huge respect for you too. Um, love everything that you're doing. You're, you're great friends, great people to have in the network. So thank you so much. It's a, it's a massive honor to be on whenever, whenever Nick invites me to anything, I'm like, oh, okay, um, I'm doing something right. So thank you very much. And, um, yeah, we could, we could talk for hours about this stuff. Cause I mean, I live and breathe it every day. Um, best place to find me LinkedIn, just Daniel James on LinkedIn. Um, and Twitter, although my Twitter game isn't as strong as my LinkedIn game, uh, but on Twitter, I'm foodog85, which is not good for the personal brands, but um, <laughs> F-O-O-D-O-G-85. Reason being, I have two food dogs tattooed on my chest. The- oh my gosh. I love it. Well, thank you, brother. I, will, I can't wait to see you soon. Um, and we'll see you next time on the Agency Algorithm. Thanks, guys.